You like the sweater that Sylvia bought me? She keeps me dressed. She's getting smart. She learned about Carolina blue. Well, everybody has to say it when they come up here, but I'm going to do it myself because I felt it with all my heart. How grateful I feel to the choir for everything they sang this morning. And I just felt like coming up here afterwards and saying, Amen, let's close in prayer. It's it's all been said, really. But since they want me to speak, we're going to go to the book of John, chapter 21. John 21. This is the after-dinner question of the Lord. John 21, 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come once again into your presence in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks for him. We meet in his name and we want to do everything as you have taught us. Whatsoever we do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks unto God and the Father by him. And so it's only in that name that we come this morning. And we pray that you will be with us and bless us as we meditate on your love for us, as we see it in your word, and the great desire that you have that we love you too. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The hymn writer wrote this way. Was it for me? For me alone the Savior left his glorious throne. The dazzling splendors of the sky. Was it for me he came to die? Was it for me he wept and prayed? My load of sin before him laid that night within Gethsemane. Was it for me that agony? Was it for me he bowed his head upon the cross and freely shed his precious blood, that crimson tide? Was it for me the Savior died? It was for me. Yes, all for me. O love of God, so great, so free, 
Oh, wondrous love, I'll shout and sing. He died for me. For me. My Lord and King. Some people just don't get it. They don't get it. They think Christianity is about joining a religious club. And they say out there in the world, on the street, they say the churches only want your money. And we say to them what the Apostle Peter said, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with silver and gold. God doesn't want your money. I don't want it. We don't want it. God doesn't want it. God wants your heart. He wants your heart. Some people just don't get it. They never stop to figure it out. What the hymn writer said. It was for me he died. That agony in Gethsemane was for me. It was my fault. You remember those of you who are always here and you've heard me tell and old people that's what we do we tell the same stories over and over so you just smile you know and I told you about that little boy that family that father that taught his children to pray every night before they went to bed see your heads are nodding you remember we have visitors today and they haven't heard it so you just humor me while I tell it to them and every night kneel down by the bed and pray all his children he had three children And one of them, and he would tell them to say, before they finish their prayers, Lord, teach me that I am the sinner that Jesus died for on the cross. Well, one of them didn't want to do it, and he would pray anything and everything, and he would thank the Lord for everything and ask the Lord for everything. He would say anything except that, and finally his father would nudge him, go on. He knew what he had to say, and so he would take a deep breath. You know, like you do when you're first going in when you're a child and you're going to get a shot and you don't want to get a shot. And you don't know if you want to look at it or not. And you, here goes. And he'd say, teach me that I'm the sinner. Jesus died from the cross. Amen. It's like, yeah. Like medicine. Get it out of his mouth. So before we go into the, these verses that we have before us today that are really for Christians, I want to tell you this. If you have never prayed that prayer and never learned that lesson, if you don't get anything else out of today, go home with this prayer on your heart. God, teach me that I am the sinner that Jesus died for on the cross. It was for me. Not for us. Not for the world. Forget about all of that. And put the spotlight right on your own wicked and needy heart that needs the forgiveness of God and the eternal life and the fellowship with God that only he can give you. And say, me, I am the sinner that Jesus died for on the cross. Don't point your finger at anybody else. I am the sinner that Jesus died for on the cross. It was for me. God loves us. That's why he did it. 
And we're thankful, aren't we? We have so much to be thankful for. But do you know God wants to be loved in return? We are a people who always think about getting and receiving and having. And the Lord Jesus asked Peter, there by the Sea of Galilee, it says, when they had finished eating, when they had dined. We say in Spanish, eh, la sobremesa. Sobremesa means uh, over the table, like, like that uh, book someone quoted, Table Talk. That's what it is. It's a very uh, common thing in Spanish culture. You don't just eat and run. You sit and talk. You have the sobremesa. And you talk about things. So the Lord wasn't giving them fast food here. He looks at Simon, who had denied him. Peter, who had denied him three times. And he says to him, Do you love me? Now I know for all the theologians and experts in the original languages who are here this morning, I know... About the word the Lord used here is agape. And I know that the word that Peter used when he said, I love you, is phileo. And the Lord asked him, do you love me with that deep love? And Peter said, you know that I'm fond of you. I know that. And you know that. Okay, so let's just forget that for a minute. Because the bottom line is, the Lord is asking the question. Do you just forget about all the Greek And forget about all these other things and respond to the question as if the Lord was asking it to you because He is. Three times. He looked Peter right in the eye. He wasn't out on the boat. He was on the shore beside him. It was face to face. He didn't have to use a megaphone. It was like we say in Spanish, de tu a tu. Or the French say vis a vis. Face to face. And he looked him in the eyes and he said... Do you believe things about me? Is that what he said? Do you promise to go to church? Do you like me? Would you be faithful to the doctrines I gave you? Is that what he said? He could have asked him a lot of things, couldn't he? But he asked him this one question that every person here today needs to answer. He didn't ask Peter how much money he had. He didn't ask him how many things he believed. He didn't ask him how much work he was willing to do. He didn't ask him any of those things. He said, do you love me? Me amas in Spanish. Learn some Spanish. We need to have a Spanish meeting here some night. I'd rather preach in Spanish anyway. Vamos, vamos a predicar en español y dejémosle que aprendan. Do you love me? Do you love me? He said, do you love me? Do you have any idea how important it is? Let him look into your eyes this morning. And don't look away like you did 
when you took the cookie you weren't supposed to take and your mother asked you, did you take the cookie? And you looked at the floor. <laughs> like when the teacher says, who prepared their homework today? And you look down, avoid eye contact because you don't want her to call on you because you don't have it prepared. Let him look at you and don't look away. And he asked you, do you love me? Not anything else. Not anything else. He said, I came to meeting. A lot of people went to meetings. A lot of people. The multitudes went out to hear him. He preached on the mountainside and there were thousands of people listening to him. He didn't say, do you hear me? He said, do you love me? Because not all of those people loved him. And of the twelve who were his original apostles, not even all of them loved him. And he looks at Peter now. He's about to leave this world and go back to heaven. He looks at Peter and he says, do you love me? Before he gives him any work to do. Before he gives him his assignment, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. He says, do you love me? It's the basis of all sacrifice and service to Christ. The basis of all Christian commitment. The basis of all faithfulness to the doctrines of the Lord. The basis of everything about the Christian life has to be this. God doesn't ask for anything else. Because if he has your love, he has everything. And some people try to cover up a lack of love with some of these other things. But on the inside, it's empty. And the Lord looks at Peter. And he looks through Peter. And he doesn't let him get away. And he asked him the first time. And he asked him the second time. And when he asked him the third time, it says, Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time. So Peter feels like he's being roasted. He's twisting. He's agonizing on the inside. He's uncomfortable. The Lord's asking me this again. He keeps looking at me. He keeps coming at me. He's in my face. He's asking me if I love him. The Lord is very sensitive about our love. Oh, you you thought the Lord just wanted you to believe things about him. Where did you get that idea? Do you know there are a lot of people in this world today who think that they are Christians and think that when they die they're going to heaven because they believe some things about Jesus? Because they agree intellectually with certain information about Him? I can tell you a country that I live in, 39 million people, And all of them have heard that Christ died for our sins. And if you ask them, did Christ die for our sins? They know what the right answer is. And the country beside it. And the country above it. And the country to the east of it. All of those people have heard those words. And they hear it every Sunday. And they hear it every time the priest gets up there and holds up. That wafer and says, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. They hear it all the time. They have that information. They know those words. 
and a lot of evangelicals in America and some people in this room today. You have all the right information. If I handed you a piece of paper and gave you a test, you could pass the test in writing. But the Lord Jesus doesn't ask us to pass the test in writing. He asks us to pass it here. Here. Here's where it's passed. And here's where it's failed. He says, do you love me? Do you love me? Three times. The Lord Jesus is not a ticket. Back in my room, I hope, I still have my return ticket. I hope. I didn't check yet, and I should have because I, I have to know what time I have to be at the airport. And I like that ticket because that ticket is going to take me back home. But I don't love that ticket. Even though Natalie tried to take it away from me. <laughs> I don't love that ticket. I like what it does for me. And you know what? If you're here today and you don't love the Lord Jesus, you think he's your ticket to heaven? You think he's a ticket? You put it in your pocket? You raise your hand, you let a little tear come down, you say some words and you think, that's it. I did it. I punched my ticket or I bought my ticket or I got my ticket and now I'm going to heaven. And I got that and I'm going to keep that over here in the drawer or in my suitcase and I'm going to go do what I want to. I'm not going to do anything really bad, but I'm running my life. I got my ticket punched, and I'm on my way. How many times I heard this? Oh, when I was three. Oh, when I was five. Oh, when I was eight. And the last night of camp, around the campfire, and and then what? And then I went off. And live the life of sin. And the word of God says. That everyone who is, who is born of him. Does not practice sin. But they told me. That since I said the magic words. Or prayed the prayer. I was a Christian. And don't let anybody make me doubt, because if they make me doubt, they're doing the work of the devil. So I refused to think about it anymore. But I showed with my life every day that I didn't love Jesus. I loved me. I loved my agenda. I wanted things my way. And we even hear people say that. I'm going to get saved my way, on my time and my way. Wake up. It ain't going to happen. When a person really gets saved, they don't just believe things about Jesus. Yes, those things are important. Don't think for one minute that I am taking away from the value of sound doctrine. Not for one second. But do you know you can believe intellectually sound doctrine? You can agree intellectually with it. And be just as lost as the devil. The devil doesn't love Jesus. He knows about him. He believes in him. In what sense? Well, like you and I believe in George Washington. Like we believe in Generalissimo Francisco Franco. That he was the the caudillo de España. He was the great leader of Spain. 
George Washington was the first president of this country. We believe intellectual information. Everybody knows things, historical things they believe and they know about that do not affect their lives in any way at all. Nothing. It's just information. What a sad thing it is for a person to deceive himself or herself into thinking that he or she is a Christian because he knows information about Jesus. And yet, when he looks inside that heart, he knows there's no love for Christ there. You don't love Christ. Or do you? Or do you? Now, none of us look into the eyes of the Lord Jesus and we say, I love you just as much as you love me, Lord. I never heard a Christian could say that. I'll tell you how I feel. I feel my love is so little and so weak and so ridiculous in comparison to what he did for me that I'm ashamed even to call it love. I feel, I feel embarrassed to tell the Lord I love him like I'm giving him some big gift. Like it's really a big deal. My love is nothing. But you know what? That little bit that we look at in comparison with his is so small, so ridiculous, so weak, so failing. He wants all of it. He wants it. It's important to him. And he looked at Peter and he said, do you love me? And he's asking us that this morning. How would you like to be married to a person that didn't love you? They didn't love you. It's a miserable situation. It's a miserable relationship to live in where there's no love. There's a legal commitment and a social commitment that's maintained, but there's no love. That's an awful thing. And the Lord doesn't maintain. You hear this now very clearly. The Lord doesn't maintain any legal or social commitment with anybody. He's not keeping up appearances. He loves us with everything he's got. And we have that way back in the Old Testament that some people say doesn't have any love or any grace in it. Way back there in the Old Testament, he said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul and mind and strength. And what did the Lord Jesus say? In the New Testament, what did he call it? He said it's the first commandment. The first and the greatest commandment. Not to know things about God. To love Him. And that one commandment should have brought the whole nation of Israel to their knees and, and on their faces before God as they realized that, oh, not the other nine, but just that first one, God had already asked of them something that none of them had. And they couldn't give it, and they should have fell down right there and cried out to God for His mercy and His salvation. Do you love me? Take out Peter's name and put yours in. Demas, in Second Timothy, chapter 4, Demas loved the world. Now, a lot of people that call themselves Christians do what Demas did. 2 Timothy 4.10. 
For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Well, he wasn't going to be a blessing in Thessalonica. He could go there where the apostle labored to plant a church, a church that was a model to others, a church of people that loved God, but Demas wasn't one of them. He couldn't even be faithful, humanly speaking, in his relationship to the apostle Paul, the man who was training him and discipling him. He loved the world. And since Paul walked with God, since Paul walked with the Lord and loved the Lord, Paul and Demas couldn't walk together. And it wasn't Paul who booted Demas out. It was Demas who turned around and left. And you know what? The test of time is a powerful thing. Because you can say and do what you want to today, but in the long run, at some point, your love will lead you. Your love will mark you. If you don't really love the Lord, you can't walk in fellowship with him. If you love the world, your love of the world will lead you into the world. And the world has plenty of things to attract our attention and to draw our affections. And some people are that way. They love money. And they love pleasure. They love sports. They love sex. They love food. They love sleep. They love the social life. They love the music and the dancing and the, and the parties. And Some people love to travel. But the Christian loves the Lord. The Christian loves the Lord. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. And the little voice from heaven said, I know what you're talking about. Now, that's not in the verse. We're imagining that part. But it's true, isn't it? How many people have at one point in their life said they would follow Christ? Made some kind of a commitment to Him. But pretty soon their own agenda begins to come out. And pretty soon their own loves that have been suppressed, let's say, begin to take over again. That was a hiccup in their life. And now they're going back to what they really love. Demas hath forsaken me. The Lord knew what Paul was going through. Many have left the Lord, and they left his people like Demas left Paul. They left them because they didn't really love the Lord, because they loved the world. Others tried to keep up the appearance. But the Lord knows. He knows. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Last chapter of 1 Corinthians. In verse 22, 16-22, we have this startling verse. Startling verse. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Maranatha. It means let him be accursed. The Lord is coming. Now, the Catholic Church is very liberal with its... Uh, generous with its anathemas. Uh, you say, oh, but that was a long time ago. Well, I'll tell you what. In the universal catechism that just came out in the year 2000, they quote over 70 times the Council of Trent. 
they're still believing and practicing that. It's right in the universal catechism of the, of the Roman Catholic Church. Seventy times they quote the Council of Trent. You should go and get a copy, and you can do it easily on the Internet. Go read some of the Council of Trent and get it on your computer and do a word search. Type in the word anathema and just let it run through there and pick them up for you, and you will be shocked to find all the times they put the curse on people. If anyone takes the bread and the wine and says that in the symbols of the Holy Communion we have only symbols and not the real body and blood of Christ, let him be anathema. That's just one example. What we did this morning, that was cursed. And that's still in there. But in the New Testament, they say it this way. If any man love not our Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Now, you want me to soften the blow. You want me to smile and... And be friendly with you, and I am friendly with you, but I'm not given a ground. I'm not given an inch. I'm not given a centimeter or a millimeter on this point. If you don't love Christ, I don't care what you know about him. You hear what I'm saying? If you don't love Jesus Christ, I don't care what you know about him. I don't care who you know. I don't care how many meetings you've been to. I don't care what you read. I don't, how, I don't care how good you can sing and how many Christian friends you have. I don't care about any of that if you don't love Christ. If any man love not our Lord Jesus Christ. What is he saying that for? Because if you don't love him, you're not really a Christian. A true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. A person who has had his sins forgiven. His whole slate wiped clean and his life changed. And the Holy Spirit of God dwells in that person. Not because some priest came up to you at confirmation and went whop whop and gave you the holy slap, we call it. But because the scripture says, having believed the gospel of your salvation, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. He comes in instantly into the life of a person who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you know who teaches us and leads us and helps us to love the Lord Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit of God who lives in us. And if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his, Romans 8 says. I'm not given any ground. There is a curse on you this morning if you don't love the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care what you believe and know and what you could tell other people about him. Do you love him? Do you love him? And we look at that, those of us who are believers, and we tremble because we know our love is small and we know it's weak. But I'll tell you this, it may be small and it may be weak, but it's there. It wasn't there before, and it is now. But some of you have to look into your heart this morning and you have to say, it ain't there. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, all or nothing. This is what the Lord said. These are his terms. And this is the way the apostles preached and taught and what they insisted on in the days of the New Testament. It is the unwillingness of modern preachers and modern churches to stick to what the Bible says that has brought Christianity, professing Christianity, into the awful, low, worldly, carnal state that it is in today in so many places. 
It is the fact that they bring them in in droves and they don't require them to love the Lord Jesus Christ. It's okay not to love him. Just as long as you come to the meeting and put money in the offering plate. The apostle says, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 24. Ephesians 6, 24. He says, Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. All of them who sincerely love the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to all them. He didn't give a drop of grace to anybody else. This is apostolic. This isn't my interpretation. I'm just letting you read it. This is what it says. I didn't invent that anathema in 1 Corinthians 16. And if it wasn't in the Bible, I, I wouldn't have the courage to say it. But it is the fact that I know that it is God's word that keeps me from backing down. And he says, grace to them that love our Lord Jesus. Because that's simply another way of saying to those who are true believers. A true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ loves him. It's not about having a religious experience. It's about entering into a personal relationship with him. He forgives you. He cleanses you. His Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And you walk with him. He walks with me and he talks with me. That's what we sing. And that's the truth for those of us who are believers. To love him with a sincere heart, in, in truthfulness, in sincere, sincerity, in, in reality, I really do love him. The Lord says this morning, do you love me? Do you love me? It's the basis of our relationship with him and of our service to him. And you know what? Like the choir saying, it's not hard to bow the knee when you love him. Even when there are things you don't understand. We hear this sometimes. Uh, different things that the scriptures teach and we try to practice them. Uh, in Spain, sometimes they come and criticize us. They come in the meeting there and they see the women are wearing the veil, the head covering, and they say, what are they doing that for? And so, because the Lord said it in his word. Why, but why are they doing it? Because the Lord said it. But, but why? What is it? What is the problem? Does it weigh a lot? Is it heavy? What is the problem? So the Lord said it. Well, why, does the, why do the parents have to teach their children? Why do you have to ask so many questions? If you love the Lord and trust the Lord, isn't that enough? Bow the knee. I don't have any trouble with that because I love him. That's the response. Even when a person feels confused, even when they don't understand everything. But the bottom line is, I trust him. I trust him. And I love him because he loved me first. And that's the baseline, the bottom line of the relationship. That's the anchor and the dynamo of the relationship that we have as Christians. And so the Lord says to the church in Revelation chapter 2, we're not going to read it because I, I need to close. I need to let you go eat lunch. But I hope those of you who are not sure you love the Lord Jesus have a good case of indigestion. I don't want you to, I don't want you to enjoy your meal. Enjoy your meal and go to hell? I hope you have a good case of indigestion. 
I hope you worry so much about whether you love the Lord Jesus or not that you can't enjoy your meal. And I say that as your friend. You may not think so. But when you come to love the Lord Jesus, you'll understand. You'll understand. To the church in Revelation, he said, Oh, you did this and you did that and you tried those who weren't apostles and you suffered for my name's sake. And he gave all the long list of everything they did. And when he came to the end of it, he said, But... Look out. He said, but I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. And I heard an older Christian say to a younger Christian one time, oh, it's good now that you're a new Christian and you have that first love and that enthusiasm and you want to give out tracts and all that. I remember when I felt like that, you know, but the Christian life, the way it is, we lose our first love and... And we cool off. And so you take advantage of it now. And you, it's for you to give out the tracts and talk to people about the Lord. And I, re, I remember when I had that enthusiasm. I mean, what was he saying to that young Christian? He was saying, it won't last. Soon you'll get into the trenches and the ruts of the Christian life like all the rest of us. It's a good thing I, I couldn't get to him and get my hands around his neck to stop him from talking. <laughs> What do you mean telling people that? Where do you get off in the scripture telling people things like that? The Lord complained about the loss of first love. He wants us to keep it. You know what he says after he identified the problem with the church at Ephesus? He said, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works. He said, you go back. You think about it. You remember. Because it happens to us as Christians sometimes. Yes, even those of us who are truly saved and love the Lord, it's possible for us to get distracted, to take a detour, to let the love of something else creep into our lives and start choking out the love of the Lord, start cooling us off. It's possible for something, some person, something to get in and do that. And when it does, the Lord says, get it out. He's real sensitive, like those scales that can measure a feather when it falls on them. He is sensitive to any reduction in our love to him. And so he complained to the church at Ephesus, you left your first love. He wanted them to be right up there where Peter was. Do you love me? The Lord says, do you love me? And if you can't remember how it felt, and if you're not sure that you ever came to that place in your life where you could really say that you love the Lord Jesus, just go to Calvary. We love him, the scripture says, because he first loved us. And I stand there and I say, was it for me alone? The Savior left his glorious throne. Was it for me? He wept and prayed my load of sin before him lay that night within Gethsemane. Was it for me he bowed his head upon the cross and freely shed his precious blood? That crimson tide, was it for me the Savior died? And the more I think about it, the more I love him. In response to his love, his love to me needs no reason. He can love me when I'm unlovely. But we're not that way. Our love has to be provoked and stirred up and motivated And the cross of Jesus Christ does that. It did it with me. And if you're a true believer, it's done it with you. And if you're not, today you need to go to the cross. You need to go in your mind's eye to that hill. 
And you need to stand there and contemplate and think about how he died for you and say, it was for me he did that. Teach me that I am the sinner that Jesus died for on the cross. I hope you will answer the question that the Lord asks today. Because it's not me that's asking it. You don't have to answer to me. But you have to answer to the Lord. And he's going to ask you, do you love me? Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word and for this time that we have been together. We thank you for the opportunity we have had to hear the testimony this morning of a young man who has come to faith in you. We thank you for the message that we heard from the choir in song. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that makes us tremble. As it says, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. And we pray for those in our midst who know things about you. But who have never been to Calvary. Never been to the foot of the cross and learned to love you. May they go there today. In Jesus' name, amen.